can be seated, and as you're seated, please find your Bible. Open it to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. We've been looking at this uh, first chapter of James the last few weeks, and we want to continue that today. One of the things that we've been on a quest to do is to see what God's Word has to say, specifically here in James, chapter 1, about what authentic faith looks like. And believe me, there is a clear and clarion call that goes out here in chapter 1 about what genuine, sincere, authentic faith looks like. It begins there in the second verse talking how we respond to the trials of life. He says, count it all joy when we fall into various trials because the testing of our faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work and we will be mature. We will lack nothing. And then... uh, The second thing that we talked about here, because following that is is an explanation also relative to genuine faith, and that's how you and I resist temptation. It says in verse 12, happy is the one who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So I think we would be quick to agree that if we're going to be people of genuine faith, it is relative to how we handle trials in our life, realizing that God will take those trials and do something special in our life, and that's the promise of Romans 8:28. for God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. And then also as well, if you and I are people who always fall prey to temptation and we're always in the, the ditch of, uh, of despondency and sin, and obviously something's wrong with what we believe or we say we believe and how we resist temptations give evidence of authentic faith. But today, I want to look a little further uh, and, and simply say that we can tell uh, and one clear mark of us having authentic faith is how we respond to the truth of God's Word. Verse 18, look what it says, because of God's own will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. So let me just quickly say this before we get to the text I'm going to preach today. When you and I are born again, it simply says this, it is by the will of God and by the Word of God. And that's what the text is saying. God is sovereign and His saving love seeks us out and He demonstrates in our life what God has done for us in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. The reason a sinner can't find God is the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. They're not looking for one. And neither are you when you're in your sin unless God begins to bring conviction in your life. And that's what he's saying here. It's God's will who comes after you. And uh, also we've got this problem of a carnal nature until God arrests our attention and helps us to see from our blinded eyes and our hardened heart that we do need a Savior. So God saves us not because we're worthy, not because we're winsome, not because we're willing or even have great potential, but by His grace, He seeks us and draws us to Himself. That's what John was talking about. Listen to the clarity of this in the prologue to John's gospel. It says, He came into His own. His own received Him not. Now to as many as received Him, to them He gave the privilege to become the children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. We're saved by the will of God, and we're saved by the preaching 
of the Word of God. And so today as we look at God's Word, let's see what He has to say about how we're to respond to the truth of the preaching of the Word of God. Please stand out of reading God's Word today. So we look at this text of Scripture, and I know many of you in your uh, K groups now call Sunday school. You ever heard that term? I never made the transition to calling it anything else. I was glad to see we arrived back at calling it Sunday school. Now I can act like I know what I'm talking about. All right, follow along as I read. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. What saves your soul? The implanted word of God. So be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone who's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. Father, I pray today that the preaching of your word would indeed do as you promised that would lead us in the way everlasting. So I pray for each one that are here today. I pray that they would hear you. I pray that they would apply the Word of God. I pray that I could communicate it in a clear way, in an easy way to apply in their life. But Lord, we know that you have to prepare a heart because there's so many things that crowd out your Word and even from hearing your Word as we ought. So help us to set those things aside. Help us, one, to... Uh, to put our worries aside that we could hear as we should and we could apply what we hear. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Three things I want you to see with me in this text of Scripture today. First is the command of hearing God's Word. The command of hearing God's Word. In verse 19, it begins with therefore, which causes us to look back to the previous statement which I mentioned a a while ago in verse 18, that simply that we're brought forth by the will of God and by the Word of God. And so James is referring to how God in His own will brought us forth by the Word of truth, referring to the necessity of God's Word in salvation. Now, to be saved, you don't have to simply be reading a Bible. The spoken Word, if it's God's Word, is able to bring salvation as well. So this command is for you and me to learn how we should be eager to hear the Word of God. Okay? Three things he mentions there on how we should hear the Word of God. Let me just say parenthetically here, these will help you in all of your relationships if you'll follow these three admonitions. First, he says we need to hear it quickly. We're to hear God's Word quickly, but we're to be quick to hear Actually, this, this Greek word is where we get the English word tachometer, which measures how fast a motor is running. So the text is saying that God's word is to, when it's preached, we're to listen with anticipation and expectation. I wonder, is that how you hear the word of God? Is it with an eagerness, with an anticipation, with, a, with, 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 with figuring out how you can apply it in your own life? I'm convinced many people 
oftentimes hear God's word argumentatively. They're looking what they can find issue with or how they can argue a point that they believe rather than what God's word is saying. Some, some hear it uh, cynically because their own sourness in their spirit, whatever is preached, they, they're just cynical towards it. And some hear it arrogantly. Oh, I don't need that. Oh, I already know that. How do you hear the word of God? Will you hear it quickly, affirmingly, anxiously, in anticipation? You know what Jesus said? He who has ears, let him hear. We're to hear God's word. But there can be some problems that prohibit us from hearing the word of God. You know what? You remember what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Now the natural man, the carnal man, receive not the things of the Lord for their foolishness to him, nor can he discern them. I'm telling you, if, if you don't have a heart that's been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're still living in sin, walking in sin, and, and you seemingly can't get anything from the preached Word of God, there's something within your heart that needs to change. You can't hear until your heart is ready to hear and have ears willing to hear. We're to hear quickly, swiftly. I remember the story, and you'll remember it as well, in 2 Samuel chapter 23. David is hiding out with some of his men because the Philistines have taken over Bethlehem. And there they are in the barrenness of this makeshift stronghold. And he remarks how he longed for that drink of water from that well in Bethlehem that's right by the city gate. It wasn't that he issued these men to go and get him uh, uh, this water or anything else, but they hear that. Even though he didn't command it, they just heard it. And you remember what those three brave men did? They go down to Bethlehem. They sneak in there. They get some water from this well, and they bring it back to David. And he didn't know what to do with it. He, 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 he offered it as a drink offering to the Lord because it was too much for him even to accept what they had done. But my point is this. They were listening. He's the king. Let's hear what he has to say. And let's do it in a willing way. Let's be quick to hear. You know why we need to be quick to hear? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know why we need to hear? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man or woman of God will be thoroughly furnished for every good work. We have to hear it because it'll be profitable, it'll be persuasive, and it'll be promising. It'll lead us in the way everlasting. We're to hear it quickly. Secondly, let me suggest we're to hear it quietly. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak. Perhaps James' audience knew about the happenings at the church at Corinth. You remember how things had gotten chaotic and out of control in their services? Everyone wanted to talk and no one wanted to listen. Writer G.B. Duncan writes, God still comes where he can find someone quiet enough to listen and alone enough to hear. You ever know anyone who couldn't listen to what you were trying to tell them because they are always about to interrupt you on what they wanted to tell you? The human anatomy certainly gives us an example of how important hearing is over speaking. we got one mouth and two ears, amen. 
It's got to be at least twice as important. I can do that math. But let's begin to be a good listener. Men, are you a good listener? When your wife has something to tell you? Are you listening when the kids have something to say? Do you think your life being any different if whenever she said something, say, honey, just a second, let me, let, let me hear you. What, what now? Tell me what you want to tell me. And you're hearing quickly and you're hearing quietly. You know, I, this is my problem. I'd confess it. Maybe your problem too. I, I have a tendency to want to straighten everybody out. You know, it's hard to hear very much because I've got an idea on how that could get better. <laughs> Sometimes we're best served to simply hear. Proverbs 13, 3, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Be quick to hear, James says. Be slow to speak. Proverbs 17, 28, Even a fool is thought to be wise if he keeps silent. The Bible is saying it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it to be so. So let's be quick to hear. Let's be slow to speak. Let's hear. Let's meditate. Let's consecrate. Let's let it percolate in our heart. Let's speak in such a way that others love to listen to us. And let's listen in such a way that others willingly like to speak to us and then he says not only do we hear God's word quickly and quietly he says we're to hear it calmly to be slow to anger slow to anger this phrase warns against the danger of smoldering resentment or wrath as it said in the translation we read James says an angry person cannot share the same quarters as the word of God because when a person is anger and hostile, they will not hear the word of God. You know why? Because this kind of wrath and anger, it deafens our ears. Some of you have been in a church business meeting where there was conflict about something. People in the pews or in the seats are upset. There's a tension in the room and there is bitterness and anger that's obvious. Can I tell you when that is the context, it doesn't matter if the Apostle Paul or Adrian Rogers or anybody else was trying to bring a word. They couldn't hear it. You know why? Because when you're angry, you simply cannot hear. It just doesn't work that way. The message will always fall on deaf ears. Anger will never accomplish God's righteous purpose. That's what it says in verse 20. You know, we like to give an excuse while we get angry and justify it. But I'm telling you, it's usually because we didn't get our way. Hello? <laughs> Would you agree with me? Listen, I'm confessing this to you. You can at least affirm me in it. <laughs> it never produces the righteousness of God. And James is writing to people, as we all know, beset by trials and sufferings. And he says, don't let this adversity cause you to get mad and get angry. Listen, is there anything more unattractive to someone who is angry and losing control? Of course not. Here's what I like to say. When a person's anger gets the best of them, it always shows the worst of them. Unfortunately, over the years, I've had a few angry people that I had, unfortunately, called to shepherd. It's never easy. Actually, Proverbs 22 
puts out this warning, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man or associate with someone who's easily angered. And I'm telling you, you know those personalities well, as well as I do, and they're time bombs just waiting to explode. Listen, the only commodity the church has is relationships. We preach the gospel that help people to see they can have a relationship with true and living God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the rest of what we offer is horizontal relationships with each other primarily and then outside the church as we seek to be witnesses, as we seek to take the ministry outside the local church. And for us to sustain the relationships we need, hey, this works. Let's be quick to hear, let's be slow to speak, and let's slow, be slow to become angry. Let's love each other. Let's demonstrate love for each other. There's a lot of love in Hoffmantown Church, but I'm telling you, when people don't get their way, it's like anywhere else. Pretty soon, things get turned over, and things, because of someone's anger, it affects someone else who affects someone else. But I'm telling you, let's let love win out. Let's pray for the person rather than feel like we've got to set them straight. Well, let me move quickly. We're talking about it, God's Word today, how we ought to hear it. And he gives us a command on how to hear God's Word. Now, let me move quickly to the second thing I'm going to say. Let's, let's talk about the contrast in heeding God's Word. All right, the command to hear. Now, the contrast in heeding God's word in verses 21 through 24. Verse 21, James contrasts those who hear with those who hear and do. You know, sometimes I believe we come and we feel like if we hear a good sermon preached, and if it's powerful enough, that somehow that will help us grow in our faith and we actually can become a fruitful sermon, a fruitful person if we hear a good sermon. But here God's Word says just because you show up at church and hear the Word preached, if you don't figure out how you're going to apply it in your life, you're like a guy who looks in the mirror and forgets what he sees. See, you see, it's not just about biblical explanation. And I, I do my best to exegete the passage to explain it in a simple way, in a, an applicable way. But I'm telling you, if you never get to the application, your life will never be any different. And so he gives us this graphic illustration of someone who does look in the mirror. He sees himself as he is, but then he walks away and he forgot really who he was or how he had messed up or... Or, or, or how the issues that need to be resolved. And let's, let's be honest in evaluation of our own self. Do you have a good self-awareness? That you can ask of the Lord, what's required of me? How have I messed up? Who have I ignored? How can I apply this? So go and proceed and do it. That's what he's saying. James 2 develops this in a more full way when he says faith without works is dead and and, 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 but, but faith that applies itself is spot on. That's what he's saying here. I want to go back to verse 21 and camp there just a moment because once again we see the word therefore referring to the word of truth. The word of truth, how we receive it. I notice a couple of things here that I want you to see with me that are expected in heeding God's word. If you're going to heed God's word, 
which means you're going to do more than simply hear it. You're going to act upon it. Let me suggest first, it will always take a repentant spirit. Verse 21, look at that, that, that verse. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So if we're going to become doers of the word of God, we can't continue to live in sin. Thus James says we're to put away these things in our life. And he mentions this filthiness, moral filth. It's actually a word picture of seeing a person who's wearing a dirty shirt or some soiled clothing. And so it is with us. The attitude we have, the habits we develop, the behavior we engage in, it soils our character. That's what happens. We're soiled, we're dirty, we're unclean. He says you've got to lay aside that filthiness. The New Living Translation says this, get rid of everything that's wrong in your life on the outside and on the inside. Hear me, as believers, we need to get the garbage out of our lives and dispose of the things that are spiritually crippling us. Whether it's anger, whether it's an attitude, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's disobedience and wherever it may be, repentance is the fundamental and ongoing thing in a Christian's life. You and I often associate repentance with when we're saved. We repent of our sins and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, it's bigger than that. Unless you're living a life of ongoingly evaluating your life and asking the Lord to forgive you of your sin and get you back on the right course, that I'm telling you, you'd understand the nature of your own person and the necessity of staying out of sin. Charles Spurgeon said, Repentance is not a thing of weeks or days to be gotten over as fast as possible. No, it is the grace of a lifetime, just like faith itself. I wonder with you today, would you say with me in your heart, God, I don't want to continue down the path I've been going. Thank you for your word that convicts me and corrects me and indeed has convinced me I need to do better. I want to be better. And God, without your help, that would be impossible. But I want to receive your help. And I know I've got to have a repentant spirit. I want to turn from these things. That's what that word means. Remember, it's the, the, the Greek word metanoia it means to have a change of mind, which issues in regret demonstrated in a change of conduct. And he's saying, look, if we're going to stay on task to heed God's word, then we're going to have to keep on repenting and keep on repenting and keep on repenting. But then he goes on to say it's not only a, a, a repentant spirit that's necessary, it's also a receptive spirit, a receptive spirit. What does he say? Get rid of all moral filth and evil lifestyle. And there, here it is. Here's the word. Receive with meekness, with humility, the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So hear me today. For us to be all that God desires, we're going to have to keep doing a couple things. We've got to keep on receiving. We've got to keep on believing God's word. And for us to give God's word free access to all the area of our lives, those two things are fundamental. Repenting and receiving. Repenting and receiving. Some of you will remember this book. It was actually written back in 1951 by Robert Munger, a Presbyterian pastor. 
he published a little book entitled My Heart, Christ's Home. How many have read that little book? Many of you. Many of you have. Of course you have. Even though it's nearly 70, year old, 70 years old now, been in print a long time, uh, 10 to 20 million <clears throat> copies have been sold over the years. I got one put in my hands a lot of years ago now, uh, certainly before I was in the ministry, but a guy was discipling me, he was a navigator, and he gave me this little book. <clears throat> and he simply said this, Steve, Jesus wants to be at home in your heart, which made sense to me. He said he wants every area, every room, the places you frequent most, even the remote areas as well. And for Jesus to be at home in your heart, every room in your heart has to be surrendered to him. And then reading this little book, Pastor Munger identified various rooms in our hearts. He has to be at home in your study in your dining room, in your family room, in your work room, in your bedroom, in the closet of your life. Jesus wants to clean those things up and clean them out. And to do that, it takes a receptive spirit. My heart, Christ's home. I wonder today in your own life, does Jesus have full access to all that you are, all that you're about? It takes a receptive spirit. It takes a repentant spirit. And he will gladly come and do his great work of forgiveness. One last thing, and then we're through. Third thing I want to talk about is the confirmation of honoring God's word. We see the command of hearing Secondly, we also see the contrast in heeding God's word. And now I want to conclude with the confirmation of honoring God's word. Because here's what James is doing. He's calling men and women of authentic faith to do this, to be doers of the word, to hear, to heed, to honor, and the emphasis on our whole being responding to the word of God. You know, here's what I know. If you want to know what a person believes... Rather than ask them what, they, what their theology is or even their affirmation of some creed, you just watch their life. Would you agree with me? We, we do what we believe. People are liable to say anything. But if you want to know a person's theology, then you watch their life. And that is exactly what James is talking about here when he's talking about authentic faith is doing the Word of God. We flesh it out. Now that word doers used six times in the Greek New Testament. James used it for himself. It's the Greek word poiti. It carries the, whole, uh, the idea of the whole personality. One's inner being, our mind, our will, our emotions. And as a doer of the word, of course we're going to hear God's word. We've got to know what to do. We've got to honor God's word by by being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and to start fleshing it out with a repentant heart, a receptive spirit. And then finally we honor it. How? By being doers with holy energy and passion in pursuit of doing God's will. It's what authentic faith is. But it's not simply cognitive. It's simply not what we have in our head. It's not simply what we have in our heart. 
It's what's being done with these hands of ours and these feet of ours. And now he's identifying it, authentic faith. How do you react to trials? Are you destroyed by them? Does it send you spinning? Or do you have faith enough that knowing that adversity will actually can come to some good in your life? That God will take the disappointments and heartaches knowing that he will be at work in your life that will help us to become mature and see things that we need in our life. But we got to be willing to resist the temptations of life by fleeing those things, not blaming God, not blaming others, not to be swept away by the lust and carnality of our own hearts. So we got to quit flirting with temptation. We've got to quit finding temptation. We got to quit fostering temptation and we have got to be willing to flee temptation. The Bible says flee sexual immorality for it wars against the soul and all other temptation as well. And then we've got to receive the truth. How? Because we've got a tender heart and spirit that is willing to turn from things we need to turn from and respond with all eagerness and meekness to receive what God has for us. So I've been on a journey with you these last three weeks. We're going to conclude next, next week on what authentic faith looks like. Could there be any topic more important? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I believe that's how, why God has brought me here for these days as I conclude the ministry that God's called me to here. That we could ask the questions about really things that matter. What does faith look like? Authentic faith. He says, well, here's what it is. It's unpretentious. It's engaging. It's sincere. It's enduring. It perseveres. It's built on the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. But you've got to receive it and keep on receiving it with a repentant spirit and live a life by doing it. Would you bow your heads with me today? So we always do. We give a public invitation. We want to do that today. Certainly preaching the Bible is not to bring doubt to those who are people of the faith. But my goal is to encourage you, to build you up, that you would leave edified. But sometimes as we walk through a text of Scripture, God shines a convicting light on our life because we know the error of our way. And we know that things need to be different. Maybe that's you today can be different the grace of God can make them different in your life let me, let, let me assure you God didn't save you because you were worthy of it not because he, he, he saw a lot of potential or possibility he loved you just the way you were and just the way you are but he says come walk with me I've got a standard I've got expectations and just simply follow me and when we follow him, we'll be quick to hear. 
slow to speak and slow to become angry. We'll heed his words with a habitual, continual, ongoing, repentant spirit within us. And as he speaks, we'll be quick to receive it, to believe it, and to walk in faith. If you're here today and you're not a person of the faith, why don't you come give your heart to Christ? Be born again. How? By the will of God. He's willing for you to come. He's brought a preacher here to tell you the truth of the Word of God so that you could hear and believe. He's willing by the will of God and by the Word of God. Come today. Give your heart to Christ. If you've been unengaged, indifferent, cynical, Maybe this message is for you today. Maybe you need to be quick to hear and quick to zip it up and to flesh it out. Do what you already know to do, but the hardness of your own heart is getting in your way. Maybe you need someone to pray with you today, pray for you. Be our joy to get to do that pray. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing this hymn of invitation and then we'll conclude. Father, this is your time. I'm reminded the Apostle Peter who preached at Pentecost and when he concluded his sermon, it says with many other words he compelled them to come and I, I want to be compelling to those who are here today. I pray that if there's any here that knows you're not in free pardon of sin, this would be their day of divine appointment. They'd come give their heart to you. I pray for that person, persons who've been living in a far country, wallowing in their sin, but you're calling them today to get up and out of their sin and to simply come home to you. And with gracious and open arms, you'll be quick to receive them unto yourself. Thank you for the hope that we have in our Savior. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Stand to our feet today while we sing. God calls. You come. Come now.
God bless you for being here today. I hope that you leave better than when you came. <laughs> That's my prayer for myself as well. I tell you, though, when we come together with God's people, we should leave a little more encouraged than when we came, a little more blessed, a little more appreciative that the grace that's been poured out in our life. So we love you today. We look forward to uh, uh, next Sunday. Uh, and I think we're going to have a little reception uh, afterwards. I don't know all the particulars on that, uh, but I'm staying for it. I know that. <laughs> All right. God bless you for being here today. I I pray that uh, you've heard something you can take home with you. And bless you as you go.